Hello, I'm Laura Castleton, U.S. Head of Portfolio Construction and Strategy at Janice Henderson Investors. Is a brighter future possible? At Janice Henderson, we think it is. For 90 years, we've worked to help clients achieve superior financial outcomes and fulfill our purpose of investing in a brighter future together. We know that this means our thinking and our investments are helping to shape millions of brighter futures for the next 90 years and beyond. To learn more, go to JaniceHenderson.com. Market moving insight and analysis. Join Jim Cramer, David Faber, and me, Carl Quintanilla, on the opening bell hour of CNBC Squawk on the Street. Good Thursday morning. Welcome to Squawk on the Street. I'm Carl Quintanilla with Jim Cramer, David Faber at Post 9 of the New York Stock Exchange. Final trading day of November. Still on pace for the best month since the summer of last year. And more encouraging inflation prints today from the Eurozone and the U.S. October PCE, a new cycle low. Our roadmap begins with the Fed's preferred inflation measure. Core PCE moderating in October from the previous month's year-on-year increase. Also ahead, Salesforce handily topping the list of pre-market gainers on the S&P. The company raised operating margin guidance, and it did post an earnings beat. Plus, Elon Musk delivers a blunt message to advertisers that are uh, currently not advertising or perhaps boycotting his X platform. We're going to look at the eye-opening comments that he made yesterday at that DealBook Summit. Let's begin, though, with the markets on this final trading day of November as investors digest this latest batch of inflation data. Jim, core PCE, uh, two-tenths, actually 0.16 rounded up to two-tenths is in line. Yeah, I mean, I was surprised the bonds early on this morning were trading pretty much exactly where they are now. And that tells me that this was in line. Uh, In line, I think, in this environment is actually very positive. Uh, And then in the last, like, 20 minutes, it went... uh, Interest rates actually went up on this, and I'm thinking that, David, I don't know how you feel about this, but we have had an incredible rally in bonds, incredible. This is actually like, if you just viewed it like a stock, it's profiting because it's been an extraordinary run, and a lot. Uh, it, it has been a blowout run. And so I think this is just the profit taking on a number that everybody thinks is pretty important. Makes sense to me. I mean, again, there it is, you know, and that's not even quite the high at 4.8, right? We've got to go back a little bit right. further than that, I think, Carl. But we, we got basically, to, it indicates how prices have changed dramatically over right. that time period. Yeah, right. we, got, we got to 4.247 uh, this morning on the 10-year. It's the best month for bonds since 85. Right. Since, there you go. Since 1985. Yeah. Okay, when you think time. about that. If you go back in time to 1985, what you're looking at is a period, a halcyon period of bonds. Mm. And, and, and if you go back to the rhetoric of one month ago, uh, during the series of, of people who spoke, we were about to have, David, uh, a repeat of what would happen in the mid- late 90s, where every auction determined uh, the direction of the stock market. In 85, the bonds were something that you thought about periodically uh, because what was happening was as rates just continued to go down from the, 80, from the, the 14% period, and you looked brilliant uh, as yeah. interest rates just kept going down, 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 down. So I wasn't uh, thinking about the bonds at all in 85. <laughs> I'm pretty confident of that. Well, what would happen is... I had a few is things it, on my mind, I mean, yes. maybe one or two. Madonna, I don't know. There's uh, a, back to the Future. Yeah, a, maybe, yeah, maybe both of those. <laughs> right, there's just, up some... I was not. I was thinking about the bonds. You were thinking about the bonds. <laughs> I know. You were I thinking mean, about the bonds I, I sold back a piece in 85. Of, I sold a piece of paper, 14% treasury, right, uh, to someone in, you know, about, about it was actually the biggest, biggest sale that year. And what was extraordinary was that 
I never had another trade again because there was no reason to. It was 30-year paper, and it was 14%. They were like, thank you so much, yeah. and they are good call, for 30 years. Right, I would call production. really like General Mills stock. You see, like, no, you see, the piece of paper we bought, never to be touched again. And that, 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 so, that, that said, cool. Jim, you did mention sort of back to the supply-demand concerns yes. that did occupy a lot of our conversation. It's not as though they've gone away. No. The budget deficits are still very large. They're still going to be need to uh, need to be met by significant issuance. Right. And so it's not as though this issue is, you know, it may be quieter now. And even looking at the interest costs, they probably come down by something uh, decent, yes. uh, you know, but it's not insignificant. Still. No. And I, again, this is a halcyon. Maybe this is a halcyon moment within a, what could be a tsunami of, of just an overload of, of treasuries. But I mean, Carl, what the one thing I think that people didn't expect right here is just a series of excellent reports on almost everything. And to go back, I like to go back to the second largest retail in the country, Costco. The deflation continues in so many different categories. Uh, We are at a moment where that's actual decline, not a slowdown in inflation, actual decline. And that's what that's what Jay Powell's looking for. He's not happy with the slowdown in inflation. Uh, You know, when we listen to Vice President Harris at, at Andrew's incredible one-man conference, it, it, they just keep talking about how we haven't been able to tell the story of uh, there's uh, because prices have gone up, the working person feels very stretched. This may be the beginning of when prices actually go down. We, we're seeing Costco actually lower prices for things. Oddly, Hormel yesterday was a disaster. Yep. Why? Because turkey prices went down so much they couldn't pass it on. I don't want to be too granular, but food has crushed us. Okay, housing has crushed us and cars have crushed us. And I could say the same thing about Biden. Those crushed Biden. And those have to reverse for Biden to have a shot. Now, he's got, I mean, I mean that uh, the, the drug rollbacks aren't going to happen until 2026. And the drug rollbacks are very significant. But they need to have a win. And they may be getting one here for the first time when we start seeing the Costco numbers start seeing food numbers. Food's come, finally coming down. Yeah, uh, food, certainly a single family. New, new homes uh, are down double digits year on year. I know Nick Timrose of the Journal, Jim, uh, tweeted the six-month annualized core PCE is 2.5. Not far from target. Six no. months ago, it was 4.5. And I, I think, I'm trying to figure out whether Powell wants six months of good data or do we do it just get six months of good data. But I still keep hearing, David, the cut and uh, cut and raise. And you still, I'm sorry, what about the cut People rates? still talk about interest rates are going to be cut. Yeah, and although, I mean, not all of them. I'm no, but I would... here, t- Daly is saying I'm not thinking about rate I, cuts but, at all right now. Right, but That's I would tell you, fed. we don't want them. If you're That's bull, you don't want daily. them. Yeah. Because the longer this lasts, where we wait, that's the single best time to buy stocks. Waiting. Once they start cutting, no, that means something's wrong. So enjoy this period. I know you've been vocal, Jim, about Salesforce. We're going to see it here at the top of the gainers list. Yeah. Uh, people are talking about a, a new chapter here for the yeah. company. Well, you know, Mark Benioff developed a, a thing called a, the data cloud, and it was kind of one of the clouds. And it turned out to be dovetail exactly with what's what happened with AI. So what people are doing, I think you're speaking to Bill McDermott. He, he doesn't want board. He does a lot of good service now. So, but what's happened for service now? But what's happened here is, is that Mark made a series of acquisitions. He made MuleSoft to be able to stitch everything together. He made Tableau to have a dashboard. He made Slack to be able to communicate. And all of these ended up being perfect for AI. 
I mean, perfect. That's what you need for AI. So a lot of companies are gravitating to Mark to say, how do we use AI to build sales? And he's how got does it work, Jim? And can you give us any examples? I mean, when, when Benioff says to you during your interview, we did a thousand new data cloud customers, um, and add to that a huge driver for the quarter is Einstein, right. this co-pilot technology. Um, what works? We did 550 what? Einstein co-pilot deals for customers. What are those deals? Okay, like, what, well, do you, can you tell us? Well, I, I think means? if you're trying to sell a product, yeah. okay, uh, you have to figure out what's the, re, what's the rebuttal to it, why you wouldn't use it, uh, what is, why it's, it is something that is compelling to a large bank. And you don't really know, but it does. It's much smarter than you. So if you go into a bank and say, listen, I've got something where you're, all of your people who are admin, doing administrative, they can now be switched to selling. And all the sellers are better at it. You're hard pressed not to take it because he shows you the data. He shows you the queries. He shows you the answers. And one thing Jensen Wong, great interview again by Andrew, said is that, look, your people aren't as smart as AI. And so what, what Mark Benioff says is, listen, take my product because there isn't anyone at your company. Pick your 500 smartest people. They're not as smart as what I'm offering you. And it's a very compelling. Remember, Mark has a compelling selling proposition to begin with. I've used it twice. And both times I got a 30% lift from the same information. Now, this would probably give me maybe a 50% lift because I would understand who are the other people or what's their objection. And then I could, I don't want to, Mark wouldn't say this, but I I asked him, I said, listen, you have 9,000 people you had previously last year. I guess you don't even need as many people. And when he, no one ever wants to say that. What they say is, no, your people are far more productive, meaning you don't need as many people. It's both predictive AI and generative AI they're using here. Right. Uh, and do you, predict- believe, do you believe that this is going to bring a new growth spurt, so to speak? That yes, this is absolutely. going to be continued, or is this sort of this is, we've kind of accounted for it in this quarter, and now it's this was of- the no, this is the, the first quarter, right? And I, particularly because he introduced a lot of the stuff at, at when, when he when he did Dreamforce. Yep. Uh, look, I thought this was an amazing quarter for many many reasons, but the may, maybe the biggest was that it was lucky. He had the product. It's just, it didn't have AI. Suddenly it has AI, and Mark, the, the numbers that you look at here are not, not earnings per share. The people got, the press was all wrong on this. It's free cash flow, right. and it's re- remaining performance obligations. Because right. that's what the activists, the five activists wanted. He so exceeded what the activists wanted, it was insane. And meanwhile, he's recruiting aggressively, he says. Again, right, a lot about AI engineers. He said you can't get enough AI engineers. And he, did, he said he was successful, by the way, getting some people from... Uh, open AI. Oh, open AI, yeah. Mm-hmm. Still yeah, the, the best, chaos uh, benefited. best performing Dow stock of the year, above Intel and Microsoft. Is that true? Yeah. There you go. Uh, meantime, let's turn to Elon Musk uh, speaking out on a few topics at DealBook yesterday, including advertisers who departed X over that anti-Semitic content. Take a listen. I, I hope today. they stop. You hope? Uh, don't advertise. You don't want them to advertise? No. What do you mean? If somebody's going to try to blackmail me with advertising, blackmail me with money, go yourself. But go yourself. Is that clear? I hope it is. Hey, Bob, if you're in the audience. Well, well, let me ask you then. That's how I feel. Don't advertise. Andrew was asked about that moment this morning on the Today Show, said he was speechless. Yeah, when I taught sales at Goldman Sachs, was a pretty good firm, 
most profitable firm its day. I never went with that kind of getting to know proposition. Uh, it was always, David, like, I sometimes I thought about reverse psychology. Yeah. I never thought about spitting on the advertiser because yeah. I always thought that would be like, just, in, this would be more than spitting. Actually. Elon so, went on, I was in the room, Elon went on to talk about the fact that, you know, again, that uh, all these advertisers leaving could drastically impact the, uh, the ability of the company to earn well, money. Uh, that had to make, you know, it's, uh, th- those who provided the financing for the deal, led by Morgan Stanley, not mm-hmm. feel great, not to mention, obviously, the other equity investors along with Musk. But listen, I mean, uh, amazing interview from Andrew. Yes. Elon, t- to a certain extent, has said this before, you know, where he talks about, I don't care, where he has right. said, um, uh, I-, I don't care about your money at all. I'm going to say what I want. That said, why... You know, again, it's one of those things where you sort of, he gets wrapped up emotally or, you know, why do it in that way? Why antagonize in that way? It's, well, there's Linda Yacarino call these people and say, listen, we didn't mean to say no. to uh, yourself. It makes things difficult. Maybe we meant uh, something a little, walk it back a little, like we hope that your family is, you know, does poorly. I mean, what are you going to say here? What's what's Yacarino selling about the head of sales? Well, she, wait, she, wait, the head of it. She, she can read her tweet. Her tweet. Oh, I read that yes, tweet. I mean, God, she says this whole thing is like the Orwell. You think she's wondering why she took the job? Well, um, I never speculate on what people I do in their personal her. lives. I have no idea, but uh, it's, I don't that's know. I like I, I, my personal. I guess I could spend more time with my family uh, if they wanted me. Yeah. Um, listen, I, that was, again, I, from my perspective, and we'll talk about this a bit later, I thought, you know, the interview uh, on AI I thought was particularly was interesting. And I do want to spend some time later in our program sort of talking about what he had to say there, guys. But, you know, this is not new, in uh-huh. a sense, for him lashing out in, in a certain way. And it's kind okay. of part of what he does for whatever reason. Yeah. I mean, I was trying to think there are probably... There isn't a single other CEO in which you would get to their childhood or the storm in their brain, as they talked no. about. Take a listen to this. He piece is of no governor well. whatsoever. Mind is often feels like a like a like a very wild storm. Um, I mean, I have I have a fountain of ideas. I mean, I have more ideas than I can possibly execute. Um, so I have no shortage of ideas. Innovation is not the, not the problem. Execution is the problem. I've got a million ideas. I mean, I've got an entire design for. An electric supersonic vertical takeoff jet, but I—I I mean, I just—if I—I just can't do that as well. I've had that for ten years. Um, um, I mean, there's a million things. Um, is your storm a happy storm? No, it's not a happy storm. No. Tell us about that, because I, I think that that actually, it, when people try to really understand you, I think that there's a lot of this comes from some other place, and I, w- I want to talk about that. What do you think that is? Uh, we should we need like a psychiatrist couch here or something. Um, I, you know, I, I think to some degree I was born this way, but, and then it was amplified by a difficult childhood, frankly. Ford, Edison, the Isaacson book, like by that. the way, yeah. are, he's fascinating. He will never stop being fascinating. He continues right. to be the most consequential businessman on the planet, if not one of the most important single people. It's amazing what he's accomplished. It continues to be amaze me. And he's always in, uh, incredible to listen to, in part because he tells you at the beginning of the interview, as he did with Andrew, I'm sure, and has done, nothing is off limits. No. It's, uh, you know... So anytime you have an opportunity to talk to him, you want to talk to him. Sure. Because you want to hear For what he hours. has to say, and he's unfiltered. 
he's unfiltered and uh, he answers to no one. So you see an unfiltered person who answers to absolutely no one, uh, who obviously has a tremendous prowess, but also has, look, I don't think it's, he, he said it. I mean, this is a, a brain that people will study for a long time because it's a brain that, brain that actually is, works against itself at the same time. It is not an unusual mental condition that this man has, and I'm not a doctor, but I was the chief spokesman of the American Brain Foundation. We'll study his brain forever. Do you think an advertiser who doesn't spend is, is that blackmail or is that free market capitalism? Free market capitalism. But look, he doesn't care. I mean, he's great. Look, he's, you're so, when you're so rich, it doesn't matter. He can shut it tomorrow. What would it mean if he shut it? If he shut it, what would it mean? It'd mean nothing. Twitter? What? I'm sorry, X? Tw- yeah, X. It'd mean nothing. Sh- if- well, it would be a, a, is the seven billion that was put in by his equity investors would be a zero, and obviously uh, well, you'd be having a workout, and I'm well, not sure what would be left. He, he for may have a very lender. so it would be a but, significant financial moment. Perhaps not as much for him because he's so wealthy, right. but not great. But they may get that similar message that the advertisers got, which is okay if they're the richest person. Why not? Who wants them? Right. They're, they they ask for things. I used to, they, they want you to walk their dog. Okay, I'll walk the dog. I'm a service dog. I did that stuff. He doesn't want to walk someone's dog. While we're talking, guys, I got some comments from Federal Reserve President Williams, uh, the latest Fed official to weigh in on the central bank's inflation-fighting efforts. Speaking at this conference in New York today, he says uh, he expects inflation to continue to decline, coming in at three for this year, two and a quarter next year, down to the 2% target in 25. He does think interest rates are at or near peak levels, but he adds that it may be appropriate to keep policy restrictive for, quote, quite some time. Uh, We will watch that. We'll take a break here, take a look at uh, the futures. We'll get to Kroger and Snow and PVH, Meta, Disney, and a bunch more. Data mostly out of the way, but we'll get pending homes at 10 and Chicago PMI in about half an hour. The spirit of performance defines Acura, and now it's electric. Introducing the all-electric ZDX, Acura's most powerful SUV yet. While what powers their cars may change, the energy that makes Acura never will. Crafted using the same formula that brought them electrified supercars and multiple IMSA championships, the ZDX has track-tested performance that packs an energy all its own. With a premium Bang & Olufsen sound system and up to 313-mile range on a single charge and a Type S variant with an estimated 500 horsepower, the ZDX is everything they said electric could never be. It was built with the driver in mind, just like Acura has been doing since the beginning. We could talk all day, but the only way to experience this electric performance is to drive it yourself. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com. What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration. Our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager. Welcome back. Let's get to a mad dash. We're going to have a little uh, breaking news here. Uh, You may have seen late yesterday Disney appointing two new board members, including James Gorman, of course, the outgoing CEO of Morgan Stanley. He will remain executive chairman. He's going to join the Disney board along with another uh, longtime executive at Sky. D'Souza's stepping down next year. 
Um, but Jim, you also have been following Nelson Peltz yeah. and what he wants and what he's going to do. We all have been talking about whether Mr. Peltz and Tryon would continue to try to challenge for a board seat, not just potentially for himself, but for another member as well. What do you know? Yeah, my understanding is he wants to be on the board and someone else, so he will make a direct challenge. He's going to go right to the shareholders. It's not going to be negotiated. He's not happy with these two picks. So Peltz will launch the proverbial proxy, proxy fight. fight. Yeah. Um, so there it is. We uh, Again, we can tell you at this point that uh, Nelson Peltz is going to be seeking two, two seats happy. on that Disney yep. board. Interesting, because I thought yesterday, Jim, in particular with the addition of Mr. Gorman, who's a widely respected executive, uh, that it might quell any hopes that Peltz had. And by the way, this is not going to be easy uh, for him. Uh, and again, as I said, Francis D'Souza will be stepping down. And there you see it, Gorman uh, and, uh, and DeRoche join the board. Right. It's not, I mean, you know, what his arguments are going to be, particularly Iger was with Andrew yesterday, right. talking again about many of the strategic things that he sees coming. Uh, not an easy, not no. an easy, I, I, I don't quite fully understand well, why. I, I Do think, you? I, I think that uh, that Nelson Peltz believes that the performance of the people on the board in general is well below what the S&P, uh, the actual people, their, their record. You know, remember what Bill Parcells, you're, you are what you, yeah. your, your record says you are, and I think he feels that these people are not equal to that. Now, David, I would point out that uh, I, I can't, you can't be two-faced. I, I thought Mr. Gorman did an amazing job at Morgan Stanley. Now, maybe that doesn't translate, but I, I, I sell, say, can say it to Nelson, I say it to you. I mean, this was a very strong appointment. He's a, he's a, I mean, he's a serious guy. I happen to know him fairly well. You right. do, too, for many but years. But at the same it's time, not he's not, I, I, you know, yeah. at the same time, the challenge is there. The, look, I, David, remember Boeing? Well, this was the other big mistake I made. See, I bought it here, and you know what? I don't. I look like the last three Marvel characters, whoever the hell they were. Or the last three Marvel movies in yeah. terms of their box but, office. I don't look like Scarlett Johansson. No. I did see her once at the gym and leave it that. Yes, she's a very attractive woman. All right, uh, we got an opening bell about five minutes from now, but don't forget, you can listen to us. Watch us anywhere on the Squawk on the Street opening bell podcast. We're back with you. Let's get straight to the point. You want to grow your portfolio to fight rising costs of inflation or pay off your debt or anything standing in the way of you and financial freedom, right? Yahoo Finance, our sponsor today, can help. For more than 25 years, Yahoo Finance has been helping great investors like you. Whether you're a seasoned investor or just looking for tips, Yahoo Finance makes it super easy by putting all the tools and data you need in one spot. Yahoo Finance takes a holistic look at the financial news cycle, including breaking news, original editorial perspectives, analyst ratings, independent research, customizable charts, and more. You can securely link your brokerage accounts for a unified view of your wealth, including 401k and other investments. That's how Yahoo Finance gives you insights and helps you take a look at your wealth in its entirety. That big picture perspective is what great investors need. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit the brand behind every great investor. YahooFinance.com, the number one financial destination. YahooFinance.com. That's YahooFinance.com. Well, Jim, you can see these numbers. These are monster numbers, and it's a monster year. It's been incredible at Salesforce, and the transformation has been one of the biggest I've ever seen in software. I mean, the quarter, you can see these, these numbers, 
uh, few companies have ever delivered numbers in software at this size and scale, and not just in revenue, but in cash flow as well, exactly like you're saying. This cash flow number, I think, is up 1,000% year over year. It's incredible. That's Benny off on with Jim last night, talking about this monster year. Yeah, well, I mean, people often look at uh, beat and raise. Uh, and during the, the summer, Mark had a beat but did not raise enough, and the stock went to 224 and then came back to 200. This time, what he did was uh, double what the street was looking for for free cash flow and have $4 billion more than what the street was looking for for the uh, performance. And the reason why this performance number is basically is the cash that, that they have. So, I mean, I don't think this one can be rolled back. Uh, this was a quarter of huge cash generation. And David, enterprise software growing at this pace, at, with this size, highly unusual. Highly unusual. Right product, right time. Um, yeah, I can remember that August quarter back in COVID times where it took off, remember? Uh, absolutely. You know, I've got to tell you, Frank's comments on Snowflake were also interesting. The one who is basically saying, wait a second, maybe, all, maybe everyone's getting carried away. Yep. Why don't you rent the cloud with analytics before you get, the, which has AI capacity, before you go nuts? Uh, because he and he had, uh, and Jensen Wong had a bit of a contretemps because he thinks that Jensen charges too much. Jensen, of course, is a benign monopolist. That's the New Yorker speaking. But there is a lot of behind-the-scenes jousting about how much it costs to, to gear up. And maybe it's better to rent than own. Kind of think of it like a home. Maybe it's better to rent than own right now. And I think that that's yeah. the proposition of Slootman, which is why that stock will probably go even higher than Salesforce's stock today. By the way, the big board today, it's a restaurant, uh, Danielle and the Dynex Group, Daniel Balud, on the balcony doing the honors. Do you ever go back in the engine of that of Yes, that that's an amazing that engineering feat, what they do yeah. every night. At the NASDAQ, it's Agape ATP, a health and wellness company based in Malaysia. Uh, interesting, Jim. Your point about software lately has been right on, and people are assembling the lists of things that have gone right from now and Microsoft to HPE to Workday to Okta to Snow. Right? Yes, and I think that these are, uh, uh, the customer is trying to figure out what to do with it. They know they have to have it. Uh, they want to be able to, yeah, the one thing that I would tell you is that the use cases, the best use case in the world and why Salesforce is, I'd say maybe a quarter of the gain Salesforce was they landed AWS to help them. And AWS is, is widely regarded as being the most sophisticated cloud company in the world. And they need Mark's help. They've been working together for years. I think that behind the scenes, people don't realize that a lot of Mark's success with Salesforce is his alliance with, with AWS. And that was the marquee client that you could ever have. Now, speaking of marquee clients that you may be losing, I'm not sure if you gentlemen have been following Okta. No, I have not. Well, Okta, when they came out, when they, they had a breach. And when they first had it, they uh, did not realize the depth of it. Uh, they came out yesterday and said the breach is much worse than they thought. All customer support individuals have been compromised. All, wait, read that again. All customer support individuals have been compromised. We have determined that the threat actor ran and downloaded a report to contain the names and email addresses of all Okta customer support system users. Suboptimal. Suboptimal. We've got full compromising. Full compromise. Not even partial. Full. No, full. I mean, look, I, I, 
I think Todd McKinnon is terrific, but you can use this information, as they told you, to target Okta customers via phishing or social engineering tactics. Yes. And social engineering tactics is, CrowdStrike would tell you, this is the classic, hey, I, I got a big fish on the line. He wants, right now, he wants to be approved for a credit line of $20,000. You got to give it to me. And because, and remember me, because I went to school with you. I went to Penn with you, and we were actually fraternity brothers. And you know, do you remember me? Boom. Okay. Fully compromised. Fully compromised. You've been fully compromised. You don't want to hear that. You just don't. No. No. But you know, um, the, were the advertisers fully compromised? Uh, I don't know. Generative AI, by the way, is behind a lot more phishing. It's, it's, it's oh, enabling it's it to just I was thinking about ramp up enormously. I was thinking about competing against the spider group. Yeah. And Scatter spider? I could go with me. I'll tell you, I could take share in this. Enough, I now have the You got optimist. enough on your plate before you become a No, um, David. Sort of, uh, I want, I'm going to hack hacker. into the Niners game plan for this weekend, which is worth a fortune, because you actually get a couple if you're the Eagles. Um, I, wanted, I wanted to turn to NVIDIA, which obviously is a part of this conversation, as you might expect anyway, given any conversation about AI any, always ends up. Just, you know, uh, Jensen did join Andrew yesterday during the morning. It was during our show. But I thought when he discussed, Jim, in particular, sort of the way that everything about the computer has fundamentally changed, yes. it was at Wasn't the very end. I don't know if we have time for it. If we do, we can run it, perhaps. Let's take a listen, because it, it did explain in many ways what this New Yorker article also sort of goes oh, into. Oh, so good. In terms of the opportunity for NVIDIA, take a listen. The computer has fundamentally changed. And so everything from networking to the switching to the way the computers are designed to the chips itself, um, all of the software that sits on top of it and the methodology that pulls it all together, uh, it, it's... Um, uh, it's a big deal because it's a complete reinvention of the computer industry. And now we have a trillion dollars worth of data centers in the world. All of that's going to get retooled. That's the amazing thing. We've got, we're in the beginning of a brand new generation of computing. It hasn't been reinvented in 60 years. Jim, I know it's something you've discussed endlessly in the past because he kept him, showing it, to know, me. No one cares. It was so clear there, I think, in that terms was great. of the opportunity. Right. Well, I mean, I, we're not going to be typing things. You know, like, think about it. we type in and it like hits some Microsoft thing. And it's like we, Intel. He thinks Intel's kind of ridiculous. You know, it's like when I spoke, he said, "Just speak to it for heaven's sake." I said, "What? I just speak?" He said, "Just speak to it." I said, "Okay, draw me. I, I want a Suzanne seascape." Boom. We, there was no typing. There was no. They, you're constrained only, as Frank Slootman said, only by your own imagination. Yeah. David, you can, you can sit into the, in the Globe Theater. You can be 1580. You can do whatever you want. Uh, you can. Now, whatever uh, you want. Uh, Jensen is not one of those who seems overly concerned with, the, uh, with generative AI and or the advancement of AI threatening mankind. But I think there's a little facetious no notion in that piece, David. It was not picked up. The nuance no, was but, not picked up. But, I mean, unlike, of course, Elon Musk, who uh, you know, I've talked to about it, who we've heard from in the past, and who yesterday I thought was uh, as, as concerning as ever when it came to the subject of AI, whether it was what actually happened no, at OpenAI and his concerns there about what Mr. Altman really what the reasons were, which we still don't know, behind his very brief departure from and firing from the company to which he has returned now. But take a listen to Musk. You know, when he talks about that AI danger, he keeps up in the ante. It's more dangerous than nuclear bombs. And we regulate nuclear bombs. You can't just go make a nuclear bomb in your backyard. Um, I think we should have some kind of regulation with AI. Now, this tends to cause the AI accelerationists to get up in arms. 
um, because they think AI is sort of heaven, basically. Um, you know, I'd struggle to sleep at night because of AI danger. But now I've come to a fatalistic resignation on AI, he went well, on to say. Jensen does talk in the New Yorker piece about the idea, look, it can't create that. Um, he's not concerned. He said that, uh, and I know that when the, the directly opposite views, I mean, couldn't be more opposite views. Yeah. The practical nature of AI versus It would the be great to have the two of them in conversation. Oh, man. To really and, and, trying to get to the bottom of what, what, his, what Musk's ultimate fears are and why, uh, why Jensen doesn't share them. Well, Jensen does come in peace, but if you look at the last conference call when Musk admitted that he could not make the chips and he had to use Jensen's chips, yeah. it was once again the triumph of engineering that, is, uh, that I think that, that Musk recognizes. But the dangers... David, look, you've articulated them well. I don't believe, I don't share them, uh, but I, maybe I've been too influenced by Jensen, whom I study endlessly. Because how can you not? He's different, Carl, totally different figure from 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 Musk. I mean, Jensen is a. These are titans of our time. They clearly are, and Jensen is not someone who uh, wants to alarm people. He's not dramatic whatsoever. He's very self-deprecating. He is the total polar opposite. Uh, Musk uh, definitely talked a bit about uh, the Cybertruck, the impact that unions would have, unionization would have on the shop, called it a peasants and kings sort of dynamic. We did get this new guidance out of Ford, and we got some numbers on the impact of the strike. 100,000 fewer units, 1.7 billion in lost profit. They were hurt, yes, more than than Mary Mary Barr. First, the stock was up. That made no sense. It actually should be down a little more. Uh, I, I do think that uh, the, the Ford's feeling on the Cybertruck, obviously the F one hundred and fifty is the money shot there, uh, is that it's a, a bit, that it's kind of a Lamborghini that you really it, it's, it's for fanboys. Uh, not saying it won't sell well. It is saying it's a, it's so hard to make because the stainless steel is so hard to use uh, as a fabrication technique. But they're not denying that there'll be people who buy it. They are saying it is not uh, a pickup. What'd you make of this letter from the auto dealers to the president saying that unsold EVs are piling up despite all the incentives, uh, despite the discounts? Obviously, they're legacy dealers trying to preserve the ICE business. Right. Well, good luck. I mean, this man joined the picket line that hurt profits immensely at Ford. So I don't think he's going to, you know, don't cry for me, Argentina, although Argentina's become a very strange place, Dave. The new, <laughs> new CEO of Argentina. I'm calling him a CEO. Argentina is in a, uh, yeah, it's in, a, it's in transition mode. In transition? Yes. You're not sure to what. Aren't you a diplomat? But by the way, it needs, it needs something positive. It needs something. And 48% inflation is not sustainable either. So. No, but that's, that's a country that seems to recognize that uh, drastic action is needed. When was it the fifth largest economy in the world? After World War Well, it did, one, yeah, two, World War One was long ago. I mean, rivaled us. I mean, yeah. A lot, of, a lot of people emigrated there versus U.S. Yeah. Kind um, of a push. All right, guys, want to hit uh, deals and potential deals. Uh, let's start off with Abby and this deal to buy Immunogen. Oh, for good. Thank billion. you. Uh, it's an ovarian cancer therapy called Elihir. It received positive trial data uh, back in May. That sent the stock up dramatically at that point. This was a $4 stock that immediately went to sort of fourteen fifteen. It's kind of hung in that level. And now today, Abby says, yeah, we'll buy you. We'll pay you $31.26. Um, that's about a $10 billion deal. So there's some signs of M&A. It's funny because we had Tyler Dixon here from City the other day saying healthcare, And we've seen 
another deal I'm going to talk about in a minute. But here's that the was $5 stock in May because people had lost faith in immunity after so many times they told us they had it. By the way, very promotional at one point, which was very just dis- You had them on a, a good deal on yeah, Mad it, Money, right? Yeah. Immun- uh, yeah Immunogen and, I'm talking about here. Yeah. yeah. And I that was my mistake because they made, I think, promises for those of us who have lost relatives of cancer that was just, I felt were unfair. But um, they have, if they have ovarian, which is just horrendous, good for them. Well, AbbVie's a believer, Jim. Uh, and they, they are need something, AbbVie. There's still one more drug company premium, um, As you see, over where the stock was. And that's, again, let's go back to the spring when the stock was far, far lower, but then moved up dramatically on that positive uh, trial data. They do say, as you saw, accretive to EPS in 2027. All right, I want to move on. Uh, Look, if it's got it, it's unbelievable. Right. Let's, let, let's make, I don't want to. This is this is so needed. Okay, so let's see. Uh, I want to move on to uh, a deal that was uh, reported uh, in the uh, Wall Street Journal yesterday as a possibility, and that is Cigna and Humana. Now, the journal did not actually specify structure of any kind, but they did uh, indicate a cash and stock transaction that many assume would involve Cigna being the larger of the two buying Humana. I've spoken to a number of large shareholders, uh, well, at least uh, a, a couple, and they are pushing back significantly on the idea that Cigna should do this deal, in part for a number of reasons. One, it trades at 10 times earnings versus the 16 times that Humana trades that it would immediately be dilutive. The other being, if you own Cigna, you obviously think it's a cheap stock. You don't want them issuing a lot of what you believe are undervalued shares to get a deal done that is going to be dilutive. They also worry about the cash potential cash component of any transaction, in part because uh, the rating agencies will get involved here. And so they would seem to be limited in terms of how much cash they can actually put into a deal. Um, before they get to sort of a limit where the rating agencies would downgrade them, perhaps as much as 46% debt to cap, that would get you maybe to a 325 and then 1.18 shares. That's speculation on the part of a risk arm. I don't want you to think right. that I'm hearing that from dealmakers. I'm not hearing anything from the actual people behind this deal. Uh, what I am hearing is from Cigna shareholders who are saying, David Cordani, what are you thinking here? Why now? Not to mention a huge regulatory review that will come your way. It's not because of Medicare Advantage. They're probably easily able to divest that. It's because of the PBM business of both that there is an expectation this will get a very tough review, if not an actual court challenge, from the antitrust regulators. And so the question for Mr. Cordani seems to be, you're going to buy this thing using your own stock that we think is undervalued for a dilutive deal that's going to require, what, two years of fights? And by the way, you went through this last time when you were in there for Humana originally, pulled back, uh, um, and, uh, and then you had Anthem, which you didn't complete, and Aetna obviously didn't complete its deal for Humana, and then you went ahead and bought Express Scripts, with everybody, which everybody said was fine, although Carl Icahn had some issues there. So um, we're going to watch this closely. As you see, the response in the stock market has already been quite negative. Uh, and so you do wonder if you're, Humana, if you're a Humana shareholder taking this, what you're getting, and whether or not they're going to be able to put together a deal at a significant premium that you're going to want to, uh, to deal with. Uh, shareholders who are opposed have told me, listen, we're not just going to vote against, but we might even choose to work against in terms of the board and and in terms of taking a shot at the board if we have to, if Cigna and Cordani move ahead. I haven't heard from Cordani. I haven't heard from the deal makers. I'm just sharing at least the thoughts of a couple of these shareholders who have been in the name for a long time and know it quite well. Mr. Broussard's retiring, the CEO. From Umana, correct. And I think he should 
he has a chance right now to clear the record and stop this lunacy. This is one of the most ill-advised deals I've ever so heard. So you think it's ill-advised on the Yamana side? Yes. Why? Well, because it's never going to be approved, and it's going to take the eye off a company that's trying so hard to do a good medical advantage. That's a hands-on company. This is a, you know, when you're in this company, you're in a, you know, you're in a real hunt for customers, right. and you've got to do everything, right. and now you're going to spend all your time defending and then losing to Lena Khan. I have never embraced that woman's view. I hope she shuts this thing down in a nail. Well, <laughs> there's a lot of shareholders don't want it to get to that point because, again, you're going to be, you know, they're, they're, by the way, the argument of some CI shareholders is fine. Have you mana buy Cigna? They'd say, lever up. At least it'll be accretive right off the bat. Uh, or have it right. be an MOE under which both companies, during the time that it will take to get the deal done, buy back a lot of their stock. So if, in fact, it does fall apart, at least you've got two companies that have both been able to, you know, right. take advantage of the year well, or years that have gone by. But I, well, I use not Humana. a great reception here. No, so I use Humana. I'm a Humana uh, user. Yeah. And I happily am so thrilled to be able to pay more because of this deal. It's exactly <laughs> what Pal wants, right? But don't we want to pay more as customers? Well, again, it, yeah, it, it's yeah. not about Medicare Advantage because they have a small business at CI and they would likely sell it um, or divest it. Of course, the last time they tried to yeah. do that, remember, with well, Aetna had a bad divestiture partner when it was trying to get together with Humana, and that's why that Mr. deal didn't work. Well, Mr. Broussard is going to see the light of day today. He's going to take this one back, and I salute right. him for doing so well, in we advance. We have yet, yet to hear from either company, Carl, uh, in terms of saying anything about this report in the journal yesterday. Uh, two things, guys. Chicago PMI, 55.8, Jim. We were looking for what? 46. Uh, that's huh? one reason we lost some steam here. Uh, let's get to uh, yep, Rick Santelli's got it, Rick. Yes, it's 55.8. You're right, Carl. That is a huge surprise. We're expecting the 15th consecutive number below 51.5. We had 14 in a row. This is a real outlier. 55.8 isn't only the first number above 50 going all the way back to August of last year. It's the highest since May of last year. And you can see yields moving higher, hitting 435 in a 10-year, which doesn't seem high unless you started an intraday low yesterday of around four and a quarter. The equities, of course, are still all green, but they're digesting this number. And to put it a face on all the data today, continuing claims popped up above 1.9 million, but that was seasonally adjusted. That moved up 86,000. Many traders are talking about non-seasonally adjusted continuing claims. They were down 97,000. So a lot of conflicting signals here, but Chicago PMI stratospheric read for November. Back to you, Carl. Rick, apologies for stepping on your toes a bit. Uh, thank you for that. Meanwhile, Jim, we got a headline that OPEC Plus has agreed on a million uh, barrel per day cut. We were looking for that. We got to 79.60 Man, this, this morning. Suddenly some not in the script numbers visit us. Uh, or someone could say we have uh, incredible growth with declining inflation. Uh, I know that crude is actually going the wrong way right now, but gasoline is going great. You know, David, uh, there's a scenario which just says, listen, if you could get growth like this with no, very little inflation, you're China during the great period of Chinese expansion. That's pretty good. It is pretty good. China wishes it was anything like that now, given its own problems and in, in its economy. Well, I don't know. It doesn't fit the script. No, it rates. doesn't fit the script. It doesn't. Look at that. And now we got, yeah. Well, um, I, I, obviously the market's kind of turned from what appeared to be a, a, a strong open. I think the only things we missed, Jim, we kind of touched on snow. We didn't do Kroger cutting the sales guide. We'll talk to Rodney McMullen later this morning. PVH, uh, wow, uh, 
not not great you either. Know, Tommy Hilfiger, it, it, it's just not selling that well, and I I don't know. That's these are numbers that you, you just don't want to see. Ralph Lauren had such unbelievably good numbers. Lulu has uh, incredibly in, incredibly great numbers, and I was very surprised. That uh, that PVH could be as bad as it was. Although it turns around some pre-market losses. Up. Yeah. How the hell? How could it be up yeah, on those they, numbers? They do guide below. All right. Well, hey. Uh, DTC up six. I guess if they had guided up, who knows? Yeah. This is like Foot Locker. I mean, you know, they're only going to have down eight comps. I guess that's good. Yeah. But on Foot Locker, Telsey goes to thirty-one today. That's oh, those, a ten-dollar increase. We are going to see some people cover their shorts on these things, and these analysts who all so many downgraded to sell. But this PVH. People want, well, how much is RL up at PVHs? I mean, geez, RL is so much better. That, that's quite, what can I say? I mean, there's, that wasn't in the script either. Ralph, by Ralph Lauren in 129 over PVH in 95. Okay. Right. Um, the yeah. other thing, Jim, was yesterday people looked at the triple Qs, 52-week high, ended up closing 1% below that intraday high, negative, uh, thinking maybe this would be a place where you'd start to see some, as you said earlier, profit-taking, but well, this time on tech. I, I think that I, I'm looking for money to come out of tech and go into the rest of the market, particularly the Russell 2000. That is maybe happens, but, jeez, I, I mean, that, that would be, a, let's say, PBH example of, of a smaller cap stock that's getting the money in, uh, a footlocker, a gap stores. These are all places that, that, frankly, the money was just pouring out on the same numbers that we're getting now. Uh, and obviously, these companies are not big cap stocks, so it's not. You may, you may not feel it, but there's enough negatives in the large cap tech to see money come out of there. But I, look, this is a very contrary day. What can I say? It's a very contrary day. And yesterday uh, was led by financials and by small cap. Yeah. Uh, by the way, tonight, uh, do not miss a CNBC special. Charlie Munger, a life of wit and wisdom. Becky Quick's final interview with. Uh, Warren Buffett's uh, colleague for many, many decades. That airs tonight at 8 p.m. Eastern time. As we go to break, yields are elevated today. Two-year back to 4.7. 10-year back almost to 4.35. On the heels of that very hot Chicago PMI number, we'll get pending homes in about 10 minutes. Let's get to Jim and stop trading. Okay, the winner and new champion for cybersecurity may actually be Palo Alto Networks because at one point today it traded at $100 billion. Uh, a $100 billion company, Nikesh Aurora, when this company was like about 50, said that's going to happen. And that was like about a month ago. No, he, he's had hit unbelievable numbers, and people didn't understand it because he said, listen, let's go away from billings and do, re- and do remaining performance obligations. And then uh, so, and everyone poo-pooed it. And then CrowdStrike did it. Salesforce did it. And it turns out that this is the way people are going to value things. And that's why his stock has just vaulted 40 straight points. Uh, does all of this software momentum mean something for Oracle when they do post? I think Oracle is a very inexpensive stock, and I do think that they have to solve the problem of, of, of why they bought or went up against a company called Epic in the healthcare system, which is very hard. They, I think, can talk about how they have more. Uh, they have a lot of. They, they bought into Jensen very early on. They have a lot of, of the most, let's say, the hard to procure. Uh, graphics cards. So I think that they can have a good run. The last quarter was a disaster. 123 went to 103. And I think that they know that they have to address some of these problems. So how about tonight? Okay. Uh, tonight I've got Lyft. Yeah, Lyft, is, Lyft has got a pulse. Really? But bump but bump Yeah. What? Oh, okay. I believe no, you. They don't it. have a pulse. I guess, you know, paddles. I mean, no. It's doing, doing okay. The pulse? Interesting yeah. show today. That's an $11 stock. Look at that. Yeah. 
Well, there you go. Four and a half billion dollar market cap. Right. Um, Way to I, go. I would not. I would not bottom fish with Okta here. Okay. Because social engineering. David, I get on the phone with you. I said, I know the name of your dog. Fully okay. So give me every single, uh, every single piece of information. Get out on immediately. Your Leave. No, it's You've tough. You've been fully I love, compromised. I love Todd McKinnon, but uh, this, that that release today was sober. Sober. Uh, we'll see you tonight, Jim. Thank you. As you said, bit interesting week uh, wrapping up here next couple days. Uh, meantime, pending homes after the break with the Dow up almost 300. S&P finding its legs once again up almost five. You've been listening to the opening bell on CNBC's Squawk on the Street. All opinions expressed by the Squawk on the Street participants are solely their opinions and do not reflect the opinions of CNBC, NBC Universal, or their parent company or affiliates, and may have been previously disseminated by them on television, radio, internet, or another medium. You should not treat any opinion expressed on this podcast as a specific inducement to make a particular investment or follow a particular strategy, but only as an expression of an opinion. Such opinions are based upon information Squawk on the Street participants consider reliable, but neither CNBC nor its affiliates and or subsidiaries warrant its completeness or accuracy, and it should not be relied upon as such. To view the full Squawk on the Street disclaimer, please visit cnbc.com forward slash Squawk on the Street disclaimer. Selling smoothies is what I do, but for small business insurance, I chose my State Farm agent. He's a small business owner too, so he knew how to help me personalize my policies. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Talk to an agent today.